Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these little lives, Lord. We pray that you would save them and cause them by your great mercy to receive faith, Lord, and come to repentance and know they need a Savior to save them from their sins, Lord. Lord, thank you for those who worked with them, who taught them those wonderful truths, Lord. And Lord, even though they were just trying to get those out together in some kind of unison, Lord, we pray that those truths these children will hold dearly one day, as we do. Thank you for moms and dads who uh, take time to have their children uh, taught uh, by them at home and then allow us to come alongside them, Lord. Bless those homes that are represented here. Give them strength to keep pointing their children towards Christ. And help us in ministry as we come alongside them to constantly remind them of the great things of Jesus and his word. Lord, now as we look at your word, we pray you would encourage us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reading the stat the other day. Hallmark now has made 437 Christmas movies. They basically use about 17 actors. They shoot on five different locations. And they said in the article they had three plots. I think there's only one. (laughs) Boy meets girl. Fake snow arrives. Some kind of event begins to happen and brings them together. Eventually, they have a falling out, but they make up, and they live happily ever after. Well, I think the world looks at Christmas like a Hallmark movie in a lot of ways. The world sees Christmas coming every year. There's a lot of excitement at first. They pull out the decorations. They listen to Christmas music, and then comes the bad traffic. Then they have a falling out with their relatives. And somewhere in all of that, there are songs about this baby Jesus that they sing in the car and in the grocery store. They never really understand it. But it all ends, they put away all the decorations, and the truth of Christmas is missed, and they're on to the new year. That's the cycle of someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not too long ago, I reading an article on the second stanza of A whole O Holy Night. I mean, a man named Adolph Adams wrote this. And the social justice movement got a hold of this. And Oprah right in the middle of it. The second verse says this, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Well, certainly they got a hold of this. And they said, this is it. This is how we have to live. Chains have to be broken. Everybody has to be equal. We have to all live together. But they have no understanding of how we live in unity. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is missing. They don't know how you get peace with one another, and certainly they don't know how you get peace with God. Man has had a long-standing war against God since the fall. The world looks at this stuff that the kids just sang on here, and it, it, it's, just, it's just Christmas, right? It's just an event. It comes around and goes. But, but that was the farthest thing from the mind and the hearts of the angels that came that night that end of that great passage is 
the angels have come and announced this birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to verse 14, and together this host cries out, proclaims, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's an excellent translation of the original. This, this great message was so powerful, think about this, so, so transforming, it reaches from heaven to earth. This is not a simple slogan that comes and goes for about four weeks during the year and then you move on to something else. Think about this. The angel said, glory to God in the highest. From his heavenly throne to the earth, there's peace that is coming. See, this is a peace that most people miss. See, the plan of God has come to earth. The plan that that fixes death, fixes sin, fixes eternal separation that was caused in the fall in Genesis 3, that's come to earth. And that plan is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And think about what Jesus did. For the sake of his people, and certainly we realize there's a Jewish theme there in the book of Matthew and Luke, but we know God said in Isaiah 49.6 that it's too small a thing to rescue the tribes of Judah, tribes of Jacob. He had a bigger plan. It's for the nations, right? And so we realize when the Lord Jesus came, he came for the sake of his people. Think about this. He descended from heaven. He veiled his glory in such a way that he added humanity in the incarnation. He came to lay down his life, listen to this, for his friends. Because once you're saved, truly saved, repented of your sin, brought into the kingdom of God, you are the friend of Christ. And see, this is where real peace comes from. This verse speaks about peace, doesn't it? This is a unique peace. And we all know everybody's looking for peace, aren't they? We see it all the time. The world's looking for some sort of peace, aren't they? You say, oh, yeah, yeah, them, them, them. But think about your own self. (laughs) A lot of people are looking for peace, right? Teachers and parents are looking for a little peace and quiet sometimes. (laughs) Can you just go outside? (laughs) I need some peace and quiet. Maybe you feel the... uh, Uh, the mounting financial pressure that you're under. You've made poor decisions and you're in debt and you need relief from debt. Really, what you're after is not peace. You're after prosperity. You're after financial stability, but you go, I wish I just had peace from this. Maybe some of you are waiting for results from a doctor or something's maybe not right within you, and it's left you unsettled and a bit stressed. You say, I just want to know so I'll have peace, but really what you're looking for is really good health. You want the Lord to bless your health. It could be someone here who don't have a very peaceful marriage. Just don't have that harmony. And what you need is, is the gospel. You need the gospel to bring you harmony. You need to understand what Christ and His church how they represent our marriages and how we live according to that. 
Israel and the Middle East are looking for peace, aren't they, all the time? Battles and wars from thousands of years past continue to rage. We've seen racial unrest, right? And everybody wants racial peace. I love our church. Where are they? Samir, an Egyptian. Dan, a Jew. Brothers in the Lord. Bonded together because of Jesus Christ. I love that. You can't, you can't get that on your own. That's not something you just somehow muster up. That's something that God does. That's an eternal friendship in Jesus Christ. That's an eternal reckoning that only can come through Jesus Christ. So people are looking for peace of mind. They're looking for all kinds of peace, but they're just temporary and they disappear with the next set of problems. So the world doesn't understand peace. But what about the peace that how do we get this peace that the world doesn't understand, this humanity can't seem to solve, this, this true peace? I thought about this this week, and I, said, I, thought, I wrote in my notes, true peace is not the absence of what is wrong. If I can just get rid of something, I can get peace. So that's what, that's what most people think they can get peace. If I can just get rid of something in my life, I can get true peace. That's not true peace. True peace is not the absence of what is wrong. Listen to this. True peace is the presence of what is right. How do I, who am wrong, born wrong, born a sinner, how do I have a right relationship with Jesus Christ and receive that peace? That's that's what Christians have. True, born again, Christians who have repented of their sin have. See, the world didn't need another advisor to come. See, worldly advisors just know how to package you and send you to hell. They come with new ideas, new new philosophies, new social ways to make everybody get along, but in the end, you still die in your sins. The world didn't need another advisor. The world needed a savior. And so Jesus Christ, who brought peace to the earth, came as a savior to grant eternal peace Some were looking for a reformer to come, someone that would get everybody back going with the law. If we could just live according to the law, we we can all be right with God, and and then he'll bring his kingdom in. The law law was certainly, really displays the love of God in a lot of ways. He he shows us how to get to him, particularly in the Old Testament around the the, the Hebrews, to how to have a relationship with them in this fallen state, how to sustain and hold off his wrath until Jesus would come. So the law had a purpose, but ultimately the law was to show us we needed a Savior. And so bringing another reformer, someone who could make people live according to the law, was wrong. Again, the world needed a Savior. Still, people are trying to get people to step in line, do this, take this, be this. It doesn't work. The world needs a Savior. Saviors don't have a a real official title either. See, the world wants an image. It wants an image it can exalt. And when you think about a Savior, it's someone who will lay down everything for the life of that person. It's really hard to market that in a lot of ways. So 
we look and we see a Savior that we can exalt because he did lay down his life. See, the Bible describes a Savior as one who lays down their life for another, one who can satisfy the wrath of God because God is angry with sin, folks. Don't, we, we painted a picture in Christianity that God is God of love. There's this constant elevation of his love, and we forget that God wars against sin. In fact, there's such a war against sin, he sent his son to solve that war between us. And so a Savior is one who can lay down his life. God would accept it on his behalf. It would appease his wrath on behalf of those who believe. One that can truly be rescued and be granted peace. That's that's what a Savior can do, can rescue and grant peace. So you see, a Savior is kind and loving And yet he has power. He has power to rescue. He has the ability to to perform the great deeds of God and yet tenderly pick up a lamb and carry them into eternity. So that's a savior. Savior is a complex term for the world. And why it's so difficult? Because the world, and even in Jesus' day, when he comes, they're not looking for a savior. They don't see themselves as a sinner. So I don't need a savior. I need a king. I need someone to get, get my, my stuff, get what I need, and help me become the person I want to be. So savior is difficult. It's complex, isn't it? And the world doesn't want a savior. Not in a biblical sense. So you have to define that. Jesus came to save sinners. That's what the Bible says. You don't get him as a savior if you don't think you're a sinner. That's what's so beautiful about it. This is why men and women and boys and girls have peace with God is because they realize they're a sinner and they need Jesus. Men have tried and tried, and they've all failed. They've tried to be saviors. They've tried to set up social programs. They've tried to do this and that and try to do all kinds of things, and yet they can't bring man together. They're fighting harder than they ever have, right? Trying to put an end to all these problems, and they just get worse and worse. Because no one, no one can fulfill the great shoes of being a true savior. And all those who tried, all those who are trying now, they will soon die and soon be forgotten, but not Jesus. See, a Savior has to be divine. He has to be absent of sin. He has to be omniscient to know the past, the present, and the future. He has to be able to fulfill all the prophecies. He has to be able to judge perfectly right and wrong and yet hold this majesty and glory in a humble way, in a way no one else could do. That's what Jesus was. You see, a Savior must be one who has perfect love where all fear can be cast out. See, this is what the angels sing about. See, they knew this was happening. They knew Jesus was coming. The angels long to look into the promises that the Hebrew prophets wrote of a Messiah that would come and be called the Prince of Peace. (laughs) There's just no peace in the world, is there? There's no peace in the streets. 
There's no peace in homes. There's no peace between nations. There's no peace between races. But the angels knew. They, they knew God had promised peace. They knew God had a plan to solve the war between man and God. And it was Jesus in this day, this very day that these kids just sang about glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. There's one coming that stre- his, his majesty stretches from the heavens to earth who can solve man's problem. Many years before the southern tribes of Israel really fell into great rebellion and captivity, God made a promise to them through Isaiah. He said in Isaiah chapter 9, we know these verses, verse 6 and 7, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now think, think about this. You know this has never happened because the Bible says a, the government will be rest upon his shoulders. Everybody wants a worldwide government. Oh, that's coming someday. And there's only one, there's only one who can carry the weight of that. And so this great promise, this great future fulfillment, the government will rest on his shoulders, meaning everything that comes down will be perfect because the king of kings will run all things. The Bible says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, those three phrases were amazing and we can spend time on each one of them but he is the best counselor jesus is the mighty god in the beginning was the word and the word was with god meaning in equality with god and the word was god god's on earth he's eternal father and then the final one that i'm after here is the prince of peace goes on to say there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace There it is, right there. There's no end to his rule in the peace that he brings. So you want to chase peace? You're not going to get it through a march or through a sit-in or through fighting and battling. That's not going to come that way. It's going to come with Jesus. It comes in our salvation. I, I know for me, and if you're a believer in here of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you repented of your sin, you truly belong to him, you are at peace with God. You can have all of this in your heart. But there is a day coming where the Prince of Peace will come. And it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, because he'll establish it and hold it with justice and righteousness. See, Christ is going to set all this straight. The problem is they're trying to set it straight without Jesus right now. It doesn't work. And look, we're all about Kindness and trying to resolve problems. We, that's what Christians should do. We resolve conflict through the scriptures and through Christ. But the world's a wreck, isn't it? And the, try, the more they try, the more it becomes a wreck. There's one coming who will establish and uphold justice and righteousness. You won't have it through your religious works. You'll never get it. Do this, don't do that. Don't eat this, don't go there. You'll never get it that way. It comes through the King of Kings. We say, well, well how, how is this going to happen? How does this come from, from glory and the highest to earth? How does this take place? Well, look in your Bibles with me to Isaiah 53 real quick. 
Isaiah 53, verse 2, just briefly here. These are beautiful passages. How does this peace get here? How do we attain this? How does it come from glory in the highest to the earth? Isaiah, 700 years before Christ's birth, writes this, speaking in great prophecy, and there's only one who could fulfill this text. And I'm just going to take on a few verses here. You'll have to read the rest for your own. But the Bible says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. There it begins to speak of one, Jesus Christ. We know this is about him. Only he can fulfill this. As this very human but very innocent person. A tender shoot. Like a root out of parched ground, the Bible says there in verse 2. This is the spiritual deadness of the landscape. Every man was doing what he thought right in his own eyes. God had not spoken for 400 years. You want to talk about a spiritual dry desert when Jesus showed up. He had no stately form or majestic appearance that he should be looked upon. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. He's not some designer GQ Jesus that... Christianity seems to be building today. Our Jesus allows us to do what we want to do. We want, to, we want this kind of relationship. We want, to, we want to believe that we're okay if we're this. See, he wasn't this way. He wasn't this designer Jesus. He was despised and forsaken by men. Look, peace came through rejection. Isn't that amazing? Peace came through rejection. Jesus dies. There's a handful of people at the cross. His mother and John and a few women. Everyone else scattered. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. See, peace came with understanding. Jesus Christ knew what he had to bear for us. Certainly our Lord enjoyed good times with his disciples, but he's called a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. He understands. He's an understanding God. And you get peace to a, a Jesus who is a sympathetic high priest who comes and dies in your place. Look how else peace comes. Like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. See, peace didn't come man's way. The man said, oh, that can't be the way. That that can't be the way to God. A dead Jesus, a dead Jew hanging on the cross. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. See, they couldn't buy that. Notice peace comes through sorrow. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. What are you going to do with your sorrows? What are you going to do with your broken heart? You think you can heal that? You think you can mend your sorrows that sin has created in your life or somebody else's sin has created? See, Jesus is able to do that. He bears that for us. 
If your sorrows are taken away, your eternal sorrows, if, if your sin is taken away, shouldn't you have joy? This is what the Christians should have. We have great joy because our sorrows have been borne by Jesus God, Christ. And so there's a tremendous peace we have. Look at this. It's a hard verse to read, knowing we're sinners saved by Jesus. But he, Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. Peace came through a substitute, not through a system You'll never have peace trying to come to God through a system. Do this, eat that, don't do this, have this, have that, be friends with those, forgive this. That, you'll never get it. It comes from Jesus. It comes through a substitute. This is why Christians are so excited about Christmas still, right? 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating Christmas as like it happened yesterday. Because that babe in that manger represents our peace. Think about that. That babe in that manger, you read that Christmas story with your family on Christmas morning or whenever you do that or you remind it when you come to church and we've been in Christmas themes this whole, this whole month studying the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And every time we look at that, our peace is in that manger, isn't it? Praise God. And let's think about this. The only hope of peace for the Middle East is born in Bethlehem. And his name's Jesus. That's who he is. This is why they're singing from the glory to God in the highest to the earth. He can solve everything from the heavens to the earth. That's who he is. It's fascinating just to think about his life for just a moment. He lived and ministered in a very relatively small area. He's born about five and a half miles from where he dies. Isn't that incredible? And yet us, 2,000 years later, living on another part of the planet, receive all the peace from his birth and his death and his resurrection. Astounding, isn't it? It's astounding. He fulfills every prophecy. From Genesis 3 on, he fulfills every prophecy the Bible said that God would do through him. And so, look, glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among men with whom he is pleased stretches from heaven to earth. God would be glorified. God would be glorified by a peace that only his son could bring. And what does this result in? For us Christians, it resolves in a peace that surpasses all comprehension. It's so hard to see people who don't know Jesus and we watch them go through difficult things and maybe they can come to our church for help and we try to sit down with them and we try to help with them and so often you realize they just don't comprehend Jesus Christ and what he did and how to receive peace. And we pray that the Spirit would open their hearts and minds to the peace that can surpass all comprehension. It would guard their hearts and their minds in Jesus Christ, but they don't get it. We want them to know that. But for a Christian, think about that. Christian, how many in this room are really struggling with a lack of peace and you're a Christian today? 
And it could be whatever, marriages, finances, um, health issues, all those things we talked about. Somewhere along the line, and I'm speaking to you Christians, brothers and sisters, peace of God has to surpass all of that. See, mankind's in desperate need of this peace. Romans chapter 3, verse 17 says, listen to this, the way of peace has not been known to them. They don't know the way of peace. That's why they fight and argue and try to set up programs and this and try to do all this and give away this and do this and do all those things. See, they don't know the way of peace. You do, Christian. You know the way of peace. Because Jesus gives his peace just before his death. And the night of his death, John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. Listen to this. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. I got a peace that the world doesn't understand. Listen, when you got saved, you received that peace. You're just not using it. Lean on the gospel. Lean on a, a Christ who came from heaven to give you peace between you and the Father, to take away your sins and let that be your motivation as you tackle marriage and finances and health and everything else. John chapter 16, that same night, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have much tribulation. Amen to that? I mean, there's a lot of tribulation in the world, even for a believer, right? Some people, the only hell they'll see, Christians, is what we see here on earth. There can be some real hellish things on this earth. You might have that. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That means it's all going to come to an end because we have the peace of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read your Bible, every time Jesus appears after the resurrection, he says, peace. Every time, every time he's resurrected, he says, peace be with you. After his resurrection, that's his message. Every time he speaks, he says, peace be with you. Almost every New Testament epistle opens up with the word peace. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. So that's what believers have now. The long, cold, dark war against God is done for the believer. You have peace. You've been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, and you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 20, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, his, all of Jesus' everything God is, all the fullness to dwell in him, bodily form, chapter 2, verse 9. And through him, now listen, he reconciled all things to himself, and that's what the great hymn uh, uh, Wesley, uh, Charles Wesley wrote, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Friend, if you're here and you're not reconciled to God, you do not have eternal peace. And I would plead with you to bend your knee, repent of your sins, and beg God to give you peace through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, He himself, Jesus, double, double pronoun, He himself is our peace. There is no other. Next time you hear these songs saying, think about the peace that you have. Even though you have great tribulation, we have tribulation. Your pastor has tribulation in my life. There's difficult things that go on. 
but I have peace that passes all comprehension. Amen? Father, thank you for this night. We're very encouraged by these children who sang to us and these dear workers who have taught them these great truths. We thank you that you love us so much that from the glories of the highest came the message to us on earth, peace. <laughs> we didn't deserve it, Lord. There's not a person here that's not a sinner and not deserving of your judgment. But you love grace and you love peace and you love to reconcile people to yourself. And so your son came and did just that came and lived a perfect life. He was protected from the sinfulness of man's humanity in the womb of Mary. He's born. He lives a perfect life and he dies a perfect death and he's resurrected perfectly so that we can know justification. We can be declared righteous so we have peace with God. And that peace isn't at the moment of salvation, though it is there, it isn't just in this life. That peace is eternal, God. And so, Lord, as we hear these songs sung, Lord, on our radios, at our homes, and wherever we go, Lord, may when we hear those terms, peace and hope, goodwill, all of those things, Lord, may it remind us of this glorious gospel we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the parents that are here tonight, Lord. Give them strength to point their children to Jesus. Not to good works, but to Jesus, who is the greatest work of all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.